What's going on, guys? Welcome back inside another episode of Big Easy in the Big Apple. It's your host, Chris Rosvogel. And if you're listening to this right now, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Rosvogel Report, and I'll follow you right back for the best Saints content. I'll make jokes. I'll give you analysis. Whatever you need, I'm there for throughout the week, not just on Sundays. Now, I said earlier last week, um, if you believe a team's great, if you think they're destined for something pretty special, whether it's a playoff run, a Super Bowl run, they need to have that resiliency uh, where they could just bounce back from a loss and shake it off like it was nothing. And guess what the Saints did this Sunday? They shook off that Falcons loss like it was nothing. You want a dominant start? How does 20 to nothing sound? Do you want someone that uh, takes control of the clock? How does 37 minutes of time possession count for you? Does that sound like a lot? That sounds pretty good to me. Do you want your franchise quarterback who was doubted by the media to show that he still has that fire in him? Well, how's 28 to 35 for 228 yards, three touchdowns, and zero turnovers? That sounds pretty good. And how about a defense that didn't have their best player, arguably, in Marshawn Lattimore? Are they going to step up? How about four takeaways? Any box you want to check off from this team, for the most part, they did it on Sunday, and it was an impressive victory over a Bucks team that was coming off a win, knows the Saints inside out, and the Saints don't sweep the Bucks often. They just don't because Tampa's a pest. They know how to get after it. They play really well at home against the Saints. It seems like it's always a trap game. This time it wasn't. The Saints were focused. They were the more desperate team. doesn't matter that they were hurt. They came out. They fired away, and it was a 34-17 victory that was so, so good for this team. It's going to help out the locker room. We're going to see how it carries them for the last six games of the season. And I'll talk about a couple of points in this game. I'll talk about the receiving corps. Uh, what Alvin Kamara was able to do, I thought he was pretty impressive. Um, talk about the defense, Jared Cook, all of that. And I'm even going to talk about how the NFC playoff picture shapes out in the second half of the show. But first off, I want to start off by talking about number nine. And I said last week, Drew Brees is not a, you know, you can't just absolve criticism from him. He, when he plays bad, it's okay to critique him. It's okay to say that Drew Brees had an off game. What was not okay was what the national media did. Does Drew need to sit? You know, do the Saints have to move on and go with Bridgewater? Blah, blah, blah. Drew Brees is a great person. He seems like such a humble guy, such a nice father, all that. And yet there's that spark in him. And if you piss him off, he's going to beat you down. And what happened on Sunday was a focused Breeze that, all right, for the exception of not throwing a great deep ball, lit up the Falcon, uh, the Bucks. excuse me. Every third down, it seemed like they found a conversion. He was precise. He was accurate. His communication was off the charts. That's Drew for you. And the days of Drew throwing for 300, 400 yards, we don't need that anymore. They just don't. And what they can use is a, an efficient Drew Brees, which he always is, who can get the ball into the end zone when they're in the red zone. And what else did he do? 
He can make you pay when you're focusing too much on that run game and also limit turnovers. Three touchdowns, no picks. Drew, if he could do that, give them two touchdowns, no picks, three touchdowns, no picks, stuff of that uh, sort. I don't see how this team doesn't get to where they want to be. And it all starts with number nine because a lot of people during the week were saying Drew needs to be a role player. Some are saying Drew just washed. If Drew Brees is washed up, then that's a sin on the rest of the NFL because Drew Brees right now is better than 85% of the quarterbacks in the National Football League. And you could take Lamar Jackson. You could take Mahomes. You could take Carson Wentz. You could take whoever you want. For my money with a game on the line, Drew's still up there. He's in my top three for who I want on the field. And I said, I think Teddy's earned the right to be the starter next year. I think Teddy deserves a world. The guy's a, such a humble uh, human being that has such a great personality. You can't help but just root for it. But Drew, this year, they're going to get to where they want to be, and that's a Super Bowl. Got to be with Drew. And the last thing I'll say before I completely shift over to the game and talk about uh, what went right for the Saints and a lot did go right. How come when Tom Brady plays like absolute crap and goes 26 for 47, 200 yards, no touchdowns against the Eagles, no one says anything? You know why? Because they won the game. But no one says anything. You won't hear on national talk shows this week, oh, you know, the Patriots need to bench Tom Brady. Oh, you know, the Patriots got rid of Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo and they're stuck with 42-year-old Tom Brady. Nope, none of that. None of that. But Drew Brees has one bad game in 100 and we are on this guy's back saying that he can't start in the NFL anymore. Give me a break. Drew Brees proved last uh, last weekend, uh, this past weekend, excuse me, if you piss him off enough, if you poke the bear too many times, he's going to strike. And the Bucs were the victim. And I think the Panthers will be the victim next week. And every team down the road from that's going to be the victim. Because this Saints team, they got their wake-up call. They said, shit, we're good. But we can't just sleepwalk past teams. We want to dominate teams. And we saw yesterday what they can do when they're dominant. Specifically, on the defensive side of the football. What they were able to do against the Buccaneers was nothing short of phenomenal. Yeah, Jameis Winston threw for 300 yards. The guy always throws for 300 yards. Spare me the yardage. Spare me the stat line. What I saw yesterday was a team that kept Godwin and Mike Evans in check. Can you guys tell me who the leading receiver was for the Bucs? It wasn't Evans, and it wasn't Godwin. It was Cameron Brait. All right, well, maybe Mike Evans was second. Nope, Scotty Miller was second. A lot of people didn't even know who Scotty Miller was until you heard him on the broadcast. That, that was it. That's the truth. The Saints yesterday said, yeah, we don't have Lattimore, but we're still a damn good defense. And the D-line, I said earlier in the week, they didn't play well against the Falcons. We all know that. We all spotted it. But they're going to come out, and they're going to fire away. And I said, if they can get after Winston, you're going to force them into a lot of mistakes. And I also pointed out, it was such a weird statistic. That's why when I saw it, I was like, you know what? The Saints are going to win this damn game. Jameis Winston at home has at least two turnovers every game. At least how crazy of a statistic. That's this year. At least two turnovers every home game. He's actually been better on the road this year in terms of keeping the ball and not turning it over. So what does this defense do? They get an early pick from DeMario Davis, which wasn't Winston's fault. OJ Howard just went full on stupid in that play. I don't know. When you catch the ball and it's behind your back, just let it fall. Like, I don't know what he was trying to do. Marcus Williams did a great job of hitting him up high. Uh, that forced him to lose control. And then DeMario Davis uh, stealed the deal there. But that was just a bad play from O.J. Howard. But moving forward, late in the first half, Kiko Alonso tips one out. Shout out to Brian. Uh, he, he pointed that out. And Kiko did help out Von Bell by point, uh, by passing it to him, basically, on a deflection. Uh, Von Bell's first pick, which I think is the first of many. He's just He keeps getting better. 
Uh, I love watching Von Bell play. But he gets a second one. Later on in the game, the most important one, Marcus Williams, a pick six, which, you know, before I talk about P.J. Williams for a second, Marcus Williams, I don't think, I mean, I know a lot of us were very high on him in our second year, but I was like leaving the campaign saying this kid's going to be a Pro Bowl safety, and it just didn't work out. He came out flat. He didn't look great. Um, There's a lot of factors that go into it. And at the end of the day, there's a mental toll that weighs on you when you realize that you made a costly mistake for your team in the playoffs. There's a mental toll that comes with it. And I'm sure this poor kid had to deal with that pressure saying, man, I screwed us over. I I lost us a playoff game and it eats you alive. And it doesn't matter how good your team is. It eats you alive because then they, you were the one who made the mistake. Well, his career high was leading into the season four interceptions in his rookie year. He dropped back to two in his second year. Marcus Williams now has four interceptions with six games left. Marcus Williams, who I have criticized multiple times the past two years in, in terms of play, because I think he's an outstanding person. He's playing great. Him and Von Bell, I mean, you want to talk about good safety duos? That's one of the top five safety duos in football. If not top three, if not the best. It's a really good safety duo. One hits hard and is great in the run, and the other one is making nice plays. And I think the Saints have shown they're just so good at scouting defensive talent all of a sudden. It's just so nice to see. It's refreshing. Um, but anyway, I talked about Marcus Williams. How about P.J. Williams? P.J. gets a lot of crap from fans. And I get it. P.J.'s not the greatest player. But P.J., granted all the mistakes he makes off the field, on the field, find me a person who plays harder than P.J. He tackles hard. He's a physical guy. He, he's pretty good from a technical standpoint. He's just not the most talented dude in the world. And yet yesterday, he was shadowing Mike Evans. And if you told me he was going to shadow Mike Evans and Mike Evans would have four catches for 69 yards, I'd say sign me up. But I wouldn't believe you. And I thought P.J. Williams would find a way to get a pick. I did not think he was going to play as well as he did yesterday. Now, look, the Saints need Lattimore. There's no, we know that. When the Saints make the playoffs, every fan here knows that they're going to need Lattimore because you need Lattimore to cover the Tyler Lockett's the Devontae Adams, the Emmanuel Sanders, the Amari Coopers. You need him. But right now, with the way the Saints' schedule is shaping out, they can give Lattimore another week or two. I think they can give him until December because you want him for that San Francisco game. If he's healthy, if he's not healthy, you do not rush him back. You do not rush this guy back. You know how important he is. Um, and also, San Francisco, granted, wide receiving core is not bad. The, the Saints, if they can handle a box wide, that is the best wide receiver duel they're going to face the rest of the season. That is the best one. And they did a great job. So I think you give Lattimore's time, and it's nice to know that Williams can play well. Eli Apple, I, I have... So let me tell you guys a little little fun fact here. Because you guys know I'm from New York. Hence why the show is Big Easy and the Big Apple. I had to sit through everyone telling me, I can't believe how stupid the Saints are. They traded a fourth-round pick for Eli Apple. Let me tell you something. There's two things that matter more than anything in sports. One, coaching, and two, culture. The Giants coaching, pathetic. Ben McAdoo, how'd he do? Fired. Pat Sherman, how'd he do? He's about to get fired. I'll tell you that much. I I listened to everything going on in New York. He's about to get fired. What do the Saints have? One of the best, three best coaches in football. Sean Payton is an amazing coach. And if he didn't have trouble with the NFL from the bounty system, bounty gate stuff, he'd be a Hall of Famer for sure. Now we just have to worry about if he's going to get in because the NFL is spiteful. Um, So that's one. Coaching, upgrade. Culture. Eli Apple got in fights with Landon Collins. Eli Apple was not loved in that locker room. So what do the Saints do? They take a young corner who's a first-round pick, top 15 to be exact, and they put him with a great support system. 
He's with his buddy in Marshawn Lattimore, his former teammate in Von Bell. You got Michael Thomas across from him giving him encouragement. And what I've seen and what I've heard, it's not a lot of, there's not a lot of locker rooms better than the Saints. I don't know if there is one. Um, you see the, the, the love that they all have for each other. You don't bounce back from the things the Saints have gone through if the culture isn't great. And the culture is great. And now Eli Apple, who was considered and labeled a first-round bust, is going to earn a nice contract this offseason, hopefully with the Saints. And he keeps getting better. If you can find me a definitive better cornerback duo than Eli Apple and Marshawn Lattimore, I'd like to see it. Um, I think they're playing outstanding football. When they get Lattimore back, if he's healthy, I, I just think this defense is starting to become as good, if not better, than the offense. And that's just scary. This defense, I trust them so much. Gone are the days of you sitting there going, oh, man, if it's on the defense, I don't know if we can handle it. They can handle it. They can. Um, and they played outstanding football. Uh, and I'm very, very uh, proud of watching that team and seeing the way they play. But shout out to Eli Apple. Shout out to PJ Williams. Shout out to Marcus Williams and Von Bell. That secondary, without their best player, held down the fort against a high-flying Tampa Bay offense. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the Saints offense and how they played. Michael Thomas, outstanding as usual. Alvin Kamara, Jared Cook emerging as a third uh, threat. I'm going to talk about Keith Kirkwood and what his return can do for this offense. And before we wrap up the show, I'm also going to give you a little bit of a playoff picture in the NFC. But all of that is coming up right after this short message. And welcome back inside Big Easy in the Big Apple. Once again, it's Christmas Rogu hitting you guys with some Saints content. Now, before I jump into talking about the offense, talking about what they were able to do, I got to apologize. I got to apologize to Ted Ginn. I tweeted out early in the game, I'm cool with the Saints never throwing the ball to Ted Ginn ever again. And what does he do? He gets a touchdown a couple of uh, couple of drives later. Um, granted, two catches for 14 yards and touchdowns isn't great, but still caught the touchdown pass. I'll say this about the Saints wide receiver issues. It's still blatant. It's still a problem. Um, but the problem is starting to get masked just a tad. And the reason I say that is Jared Cook is finding himself in the offense. Two catches for 33 yards and a touchdown. Now, on the surface, that doesn't seem great. But he only had two targets. And what Drew's doing so well, and I watched a video on it yesterday just to make sure I was 100% uh, accurate on it. There's a lot of formations where the Saints are making it so simple. And it's just a two-man read. It's Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and one of them's going to be open. That's what the Saints are banking on. And the Saints clearly banked on it a lot, and it worked out. Because Alvin Kamara, 10 targets, he had 10 catches. Michael Thomas, 11 targets, he had 8 catches. So 22, uh, 21 targets between those two, you're spreading all love to them. And then everyone's saying, well, why isn't Jared Cook getting bigger numbers? Jared Cook has to also get more targets. And the way the Saints game script went... um, they got cooked involved or cook involved early and often, and then that was it. It kind of died down because the offense um, scaled back. They decided to run the football a little more, control the clock, uh, control the clock, excuse me. Um, and I thought that was fine. But Jared Cook's emerging, and I told a lot of people, be patient with him. Uh, Jared Cook just needed time to learn the playbook, and we're seeing that now. We're seeing a Jared Cook who, um, by all accounts, is actually having a pretty good year now with the New Orleans Saints. Now, if you look at his numbers, yeah, the Saints. 275 yards isn't great. Three touchdowns is not great. But let me tell you, take you over the last couple of games played for them. It all started against Tampa in October. He had four catches for 41 yards and a touchdown. 
Then he had three catches for 37 yards and a touchdown. Missed a couple weeks with a sprained ankle, comes back for the Falcons game, six catches for 74 yards, and then Tampa Bay, two catches for 33 yards and a touchdown. Cook's improving, and he's starting to become that third weapon in the offense. Drew trusts him a lot. As you can see, that beautiful touchdown throw um, that Reese put him back in the corner where only Jared Cook could get it, and Jared Cook climbed the ladder and got it. And, and that was a really nice throw and a really nice catch from the two of them. So you see the trust factor. It's only going to build. And we're going to get to the point where last year it's like, oh, if Thomas and Kamara aren't going, who's going to be there? Cook can be there. And Cook's going to be a really big factor as this season goes on. I'm telling you, we're, this is just a start of what Jared Cook can be. Um, I think all the training camp hype was warranted. And unfortunately, with the way the Saints season went, Breeze got hurt week two. So it stunted the growth of Cook early in the year. And then Bridgewater got him going. And then what happened? He got injured. So there was a lot of setbacks and obstacles that affected what Cook was able to do. And now we see what he can do in this offense. And it's pretty impressive, in my opinion. And he's going to be that third target. I really like what the Saints are doing with him. But it leaves the question of who's going to step up. We know how good Michael Thomas is. We know how good Alvin Kamara is. And by the way, I thought Kamara looked a little shaky at first, and then he started slipping tacklers. And I think the Saints have realized we got to find a balance here because the idea that less uh, less is more with Kamara is sometimes right. But also, if we don't get him involved a lot, does he start to lose focus in a sense that he's not fully engaged in this game? And we saw yesterday. Yeah, he fumbled early in that one. Everyone's like, oh, crap, man. Kamara's just not right. And then after that, Kamara just, just completely shred the Tampa Bay defense. Mind you, he probably would have had a touchdown or two if it wasn't for a couple of offensive holding calls. Um, so the Saints really just have to shore that up, and his numbers go even further high, uh, further up, excuse me. Um, and I think Kamara's going to find it. I think he's getting his groove. And every week he gets through and he's healthy, and he gets those three days, four days to rehab, I think it always helps him out. So I, I like those three in the offense. Who's the fourth guy? I have said many times I defend Traquan Smith. I don't know how much longer I could say it. Um, I could sit here and tell you only so many times that Traquan Smith is going to break out. And if it doesn't happen, um, Traquan's just not going to break out. And as much as I like him and I think he's got a lot of raw talent, it's not working right now. And luckily for the Saints, all hope isn't lost yet because Keith Kirkwood comes back. He could play as soon as this weekend. The reason being, when you act, when you put them on IR, designated to return, and you activate them, you have to make sure they miss eight games. This was the eighth game that Kirkwood's now missed. Now he's good. If he's healthy and the Saints think he's ready, he's playing on Sunday against the Panthers. And I cannot express to you how big of a lift that would be for two reasons. Kirkwood is not as talented as Traquan. He's not as fast as Ted Ginn. But what I've learned and seen from T uh, Kirkwood in this offense he has Drew Brees' trust, and the Saints like to use him on third down. They like to use him over the middle of the field. Kirkwood's a big body. And the Saints, I'm not, I'm, no one here is asking for the Saints to have another 100 yard receiver. No one's asking for an 80 yard receiver. What the Saints are asking for is hey, Keith Kirkwood, on a consistent basis, can I ask you for 40 to 50 yards in a game? Traquan, can I ask you for 40, 50 yards in a game? That's what they're asking for. They're not asking for, some are asking for AJ Green. I think you're delusional if you are. But no one, you know, not every Saints fan in there, man, if, if we had A.J. Green, we'd be great. No, they are a great team, even without A.J. Green on this roster. So if Keith Kirkwood can be decent and kind of play the way he did at the end of last year in the, the uh, playoff game against the Eagles, that's all they need. Just give Breeze another weapon, another guy who on third down, if Thomas isn't open and Kamara's not open and Cook isn't open, he could find him. That's all you're asking for. Um, so I think that's going to be important. Now, before I move on from the wide receiver topic, I want to say this as well. I know the wide receivers haven't been playing well, but 
Drew's not even looking their way anymore, and it's because of what I said. It's that two read, um, you know, two read type plays that they're running. It's almost as if like we're banking on Thomas and Kamara being open, and you know, by God, they're, they're open every time. And now I know it's going to change when you get to playoff football. Everything changes, but I think the Saints have found ways to mask that issue because they are just scheming those two open, and those two just get open so easily because they're you know got such God given talent. Um, so I think the Saints. They're going to figure it out. They got time. They have not played their best football yet. I'm going to keep saying it. And this is why I think this team, unlike last year, and, and last year's team might have been destined for the Super Bowl. We would never know. And we never will know. And that's what sucks. But last year's team, you kind of had that sense that we knew what their best football was. We don't know what their best football is. And, and I don't think we've seen it yet. And I don't think they know. I think they're pretty confident that they haven't played their best football yet. Last year, the Saints killed Philly. And we we're like, all right, that's the best football they can play. They can slaughter Philadelphia with Carson Wentz. Doesn't matter. That's how good this team can be. We're watching them now. We're like, all right, yeah, they could beat Tampa Bay by t- uh, 17. They could beat Chicago. They could beat Dallas. They could beat Seattle without Drew Brees. But how good can this team be? I think the real test is if they win the next two games, show me what you do against the 49ers. How good is this team? If you start, if you start playing your best football in December, I'm telling you, as someone who lives in New York and has had to watch the Giants somehow win two Super Bowls, Eli Manning, playing well in December is everything it's everything because momentum does carry over into the playoffs now before i wrap up this episode let's talk about the nfc let's talk about the playoff picture because let's not be stupid here it's not about jumping the gun and for everyone who says oh don't think ahead fans can think ahead it's the beauty of not having to play on the team you can think ahead as far as you want go think about any scenario that's the beauty you're not on the team so it doesn't affect what's going on in the locker room go ahead you want to storm up some playoff predictions it's fine um, but this game is important this Sunday. Saints beat the Panthers. It's a wrap in the NFC South because this is the deal. The Saints would go up four games over the Panthers with one more to play and only five games left. So the Saints win the next two weeks and the Panthers lose the next two weeks. Mind you, the Saints can control their own destiny and knock off two wins and also beat the Panthers, which would mean the Panthers would, you know, the only thing they can save themselves from getting eliminated from the division is by not losing the second game, which I believe is a tough opponent. Let me check that for you guys right now. I don't want to be wrong here. I want to make sure I have the, the facts present here. But yeah, I, I mean, so what we have with the Panthers schedule is you have the Saints, um, and then you got an easy game against the Redskins, and then you got an easy game against the Falcons. But oh boy, the, the, the last two games does not do the Panthers any favors. So the Panthers could cling on for dear life. And if they lose to the Saints, and the Saints beat the Falcons, but the Panthers beat the Redskins, they're still alive. But then they have to play at Atlanta versus Seattle, at Indianapolis versus New Orleans. I just don't see how that's a division winner. That's why Sunday's everything. The Saints beat the Panthers. I'm telling you, it's they're going to win the division, which means they're at least getting one home playoff game. And then it goes down to seeding. Because as good, of, you know, as good as this team is, and as much as I trust them, I, I think that we all know a bye week is so beneficial in the NFC. This isn't the AFC where Josh Allen and Mason Rudolph and Derek Carr are going to be the wild card quarterbacks. No. The worst quarterback in the NFC is either going to be Jimmy Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins for the playoffs. That's not easy because those two might be shaky. Have you seen the rest of their rosters? Have you seen them? I mean, Seattle could be a wild card team with Russell Wilson. Who the hell wants to play them on wild card weekend? Who the heck wants to play the Cowboys in wild card weekend? I get the Cowboys aren't great, but they got a good roster. 
And who wants to play Minnesota? I mean, Dalvin Cook, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. They got weapons. So, comes down to, can the Saints get a bye week? My answer to you is yes. Here's how. Saints got to take care of business on Sunday. They got to beat the Panthers. I get that. What they also need is the 49ers to beat the Packers. And here's why. I know the Niners are in the driver's seat with the one seed right now because they're 9-1 and one and they're flying high. The Niners are a good team. But the Niners go through a three-game stretch that might be the hardest three-game stretch in all of football this year. They have home against the Packers, on the road against the Baltimore Ravens, and then on the road against the New Orleans Saints. I think we could see a scenario where they beat the Packers, the Packers fall three losses, but the Niners can very well lose to the Ravens and lose to the New Orleans Saints, and all of a sudden they're at three losses. And if the Saints, and I know again, it's looking ahead, if the Saints can win the next three games, if they win the next three games, and that scenario that I just laid out for you happens, do you know which team's the number one seed in the NFC? It's the New Orleans Saints. It'll be the New Orleans Saints with three weeks left against the Colts at home on Monday night. You know they're going to be ready for that one. Against the Tennessee Titans on the road, that's kind of a trap game feeling, but we'll see. And then against the Panthers. But if all goes well, the Saints can get themselves in a spot where at the very minimum, they get the two seed. And I know everyone wants the playoffs to go through the dome. I get it. We all want that. But even if they can just get the bye and just you, you missed one week of having to go against one of those NFC juggernauts, you're good. No one wants to have to play Seattle and then the 49ers and then the – no one's getting through that. No one. I'm telling you from now, the bye week, whoever gets a bye week, it's going to be one of those two teams that makes a Super Bowl from the NFC. The, the AFC, I can give two shits what's going on in that conference because I can tell you right now it's going to be the Patriots versus the Ravens or the Chiefs in the AFC uh, championship game. I can't tell you who's going to be in the NFC championship game. I know it's going to be one of the bye, uh, the teams that get a you know, bye week, but is it Saints versus Seahawks or Saints versus Packers or Saints versus Niners or Niners versus Packers or Niners versus Cowboys? Who the hell knows in the NFC? So seeding's important. What the Saints need, you got to keep your eye on the road. You beat the Panthers. Niners beat the Packers. You take care of business on Thanksgiving Day against the Falcons. And then you hope for the Ravens to beat the 49ers. And what happens? What happens there is Niners, Saints, December 8th, I believe is the date. That team, whoever wins that, would have the number one seed with three, week, with three weeks left to go. That's important. That's important. And the reason it's important that the Niners need to win on Sunday is the Packers schedule is a cupcake. They have a bunch of cupcakes on that schedule. Um, outside of the Niners game, I don't know where they're going to get another loss. And I could show you guys the schedule right now. This is who the Packers have. After playing San Francisco, the 49ers have the New York Giants. That's a win. The Washington Redskins, that's a win. The Chicago Bears, that's a win. At Minnesota, maybe that's a loss, but I, I don't know. I mean, that could still be a win for the, the, the Green Bay Packers. And then against Detroit, that's a win. Packers only have two hard games left on their schedule. The 49ers, their schedule, you want to talk about brutal. Let's talk about brutal. They got the Packers. Then they got the Ravens. Then they got the Saints. Then the Falcons, easy, fine. Then the Rams, I think easy. And then you finish the season at Seattle, which very well could decide the NFC West. There's no question who the Saints need to win on Sunday. Because the Saints don't play the Packers. The only time the Saints will play the Packers this year is if they meet in the playoffs. So they can't control that narrative. They can control who's better, them or the Packer, uh, the Niners, because they play each other. But you can only beat who's on your schedule. Packers aren't, Packers aren't there. 
Therefore, Saints need the Packers to lose to the Niners, and then they need to take care of business against San Francisco. That simple. Um, but I know that was a little bit of a rambling towards the end, but that's the NFC playoff picture. It is crowded, it is deep, and it's going to be fun to see which team comes out from that conference. But anyway, guys, that's going to do it for today's episode of Big Easy in the Big Apple. A little bit of a long one today. Um, so if you stuck through the whole episode, I commend you. Thank you for listening so much. It always means a lot to have your support from you guys. You guys really are the best fan base in the entire world. But that's going to do it for this particular episode. I'll have a, a preview of Saints-Panthers up around probably Thursday morning. That's kind of been the norm the last couple of weeks, so we'll probably stick with that theme. But anyway, stay tuned for that episode. Enjoy the rest of your week, and let's hope the Saints keep rolling because they have their sights on something bigger than just an NFC championship.